Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's great to be here. I know you're not here, but I know you're out there. So praise God. Um, Let's just pray together. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've already spoken to us this morning. And Lord, I just pray that your word this morning will go deep into my heart and into every heart that's listening to my voice this morning. And Father, we just thank you for this blessed time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our journey through Numbers. And I have the privilege this morning of sharing from Numbers 25. So if you've got Bibles, please turn there. That would be great. Numbers 25. And I'm going to read the first nine verses. When the Israelites were camped at the Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the god of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to burn against them. The Lord issued the following command to Moses. Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will be turned away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in the worshipping of Baal of Peor. Just then, one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent, right before the eyes of Moses and all the people, as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron the priest, saw this, he jumped up, left the assembly, he took a spear, he rushed after the man in his tent. Phinehas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against Israel was stopped, but not before 24,000 people died. Well, that is quite a story. (laughs) It's quite a story. But it's a story about anger, sorry, danger, anger, and zeal. Danger, anger, and zeal. And they're my three points this morning. The danger of tampering with things that we shouldn't be tampering with. Should we as believers be angry? And the zeal of God, which is a requirement of every believer, not just the chosen few. And I've discovered over the last few months as I've been searching the scriptures for this section of scripture and asking God to speak to me, that there's a real correlation and a connection between those three things, danger, anger, and zeal. So let's talk about danger. The events in this chapter demonstrate that the enemy is very subtle in the world. He can't curse us, but he can corrupt us. And in this account, we've seen this both by idolatry and immorality. And it gives a stark warning to us all that he knows how to seduce us into sin. But let me be clear, if he allows us, if we allow that. The Bible doesn't really say how these Israelite men got involved in all this worshipping and festivals and feasts with these foreign gods. But really, they were just after a good time. 
They were just after a good time. And their desire for fun and to move away from the things of God drew them away. And that's what it's about, folks. It's being drawn away from something that isn't of God. We're more endangered by the charms of a smiling world than the terrors of a frowning world. And the women of Moabite became their tempters and their conquerors. You know, the biggest threat to the children of Israel right back from the time of Moses as they wandered the desert was not the armies that they had to face. It wasn't the armies of Jericho and the various armies that came against them. It was the compromise that they were faced all the time from pagan religions and customs. And as believers, you know, we're tempted every day. And we have to decide whether those temptations become our conquerors. Because we're very quick to say, well, we don't get involved in that. It's not something that we'd ever do. But the world is smiling more and more at things that are not of God. What wasn't acceptable 20 years ago and was frowned upon with such contempt is now commonplace. And that doesn't mean that it's right, that it was right then and now it's right now. And it doesn't mean that we've been enlightened. Because the simple fact is that everything we do needs to be measured up against the word of God. I read a a scripture recently and I saw something that I've not ever seen before. And it's in Amos, uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 7, when he talks about the plumb line. And I'll just read this from Amos 7. Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using the plumb line to see if it was still straight. You know, when a builder builds a wall, he drops the plumb line and, you know, you don't expect the bricks to move. You know, he builds your house and the, the walls stay straight. But this wall could bend. And we need to be very careful that all the time we're measuring up our lives to the word of God. In all things, I must ask this, does it bring glory to God? Does it advance the kingdom? Does it produce a sense of mission? And is it in line with the word of God? We need to be those that stay alert. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember, your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. The writer implies that the lion is merely a sound. He doesn't talk about teeth and claws. And I believe that the devil is shouting things at his people all the time. That there's an enchantment going on. There's a battle for the mind, which is where the battle is. And he can enchant us, he can drop things into our minds that cause us to have a false view or a perception that things are not as destructive or as damaging as they could be. And we need to stay alert. We need to watch out what we listen to, what we look at, the language we use and the relationships that we foster. There's a tremendous verse in Matthew 6, 29, which talks about tearing out eyes and ripping off limbs. And it's always a scripture that has evaded an understanding for me. 
It says that if your right eye makes you stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of the parts of the body than for the whole body to be thrown into the hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble and leads you into sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. But when you read that in the Amplified and you read the little bit in the brackets, it says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble and leads you into sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. Remove yourself from the source of temptation. As, I was, as a young man growing up, I often used to hear this expression, oh, the devil made me do this, the devil made me do that. I was tempted beyond all I could endure. But I read in James chapter 4, verse 7, that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Yes, you can, and he can, and he will, providing that you're not putting yourself in harm's way. You know, I heard a, I was watching something the other day about Afghanistan and the war in Afghanistan. And when the soldiers were in the battleground, they were described as being in harm's way. They'd put themselves in harm's way. They were in a dangerous situation. And often we think, oh, I can handle this. I know how far I can go with this. Or a little bit won't matter. So to be really practical, the things we watch on TV, would we be comfortable with watching that with other believers? The things we watch on the internet, would we let our children look at that? Would we sit and watch that with our wives? The language we use, could I stand here and use that sort of language? Not just the words I use, but how I use them. Positively, encouragingly, blessing one another. Are they creative and life-giving? My wife often says to me, if it isn't going to bless them, don't say it. The relationships we encourage... Are we flirtatious? Are we putting ourselves in harm's way? Are there situations that we need to move away from? Or do we feel we can handle it? You know, when Joseph was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife came after him, he ran away. She grabbed his cloak and he ran away. And I've often wondered why he ran away. Well, he ran away because I think he would have fallen but he removed himself from the situation. He got away. And I know this is an uncomfortable list, but these things can enchant us. You know, enchantment is a fairy tale word. You know, I had, I had two sons, and I've now got three granddaughters. So I've learned all about princesses and unicorns and rainbows and enchanted castles. But in any enchantment, there's always a witch, isn't there? And some of these things can be witches. They can enchant us. And today, for some of us, we need to be constantly, in fact, for all of us, we need to be constantly making adjustments, making sure that that wall stays straight, that the plumb line is straight, that we need to review our habits, review our language, review our relationships. Have we put ourselves in harm's way? Have we put ourselves in a, da- in a dangerous situation? Like Joseph, are there things that we need to run away from? Things that we need to line up with the word of God. We need to drop the, the plumb line into our lives. You know, the Bible will keep us away from sin, but sin will keep us away from the Bible. The Bible will keep us away from sin, but sin will keep us, sin will, sin will keep us away from the Bible. 
And it's so important that our lives line up with this word. So that's danger. Then there's anger. It's not a very Christian word, anger, is it? When you say to somebody, I was really angry with them, it's a real perception of negativity. And it's backed up by so many scriptures. Ephesians 4.26, don't sin by letting your anger control you. Matthew 5.21, you've heard your ancestors were told, you must not murder, you must not commit, uh, you must not murder, you'll be subject to judgment. But I say to you that even if you're angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, you'll be in danger of being brought to the courts. And in Galatians 5.19, it lists a whole list of things which are not, which are the desires of the sinful nature, not the desires of the spirit. And one of those is outbursts of anger. And then going back to our opening scripture in Numbers 25, the anger of the Lord burned. It says it blazed against his people. I've often heard folks say, is God angry with me? Is that why I'm not being blessed? Is God punishing me? Let's be clear that God's punitive anger, that is his punishing and condemning anger, is completely absorbed by Christ when he died. Jesus became the curse for us. He bore our sin. God may still be angry and displeased and grieving towards his children in a disciplinary rather than a condemning sense. You know, before we were believers, it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. And in Ephesians 2, 3, it says that we were by nature children of wrath. But now we're believers, we do please God. And we feel his great delight in us as his children. Because I read in Ephesians 2, verse 4, in the New International Version, that but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that we've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So God isn't angry with us. But I do see anger in the scriptures. Let's go back to Phineas. He was a passionate man. He was a man looking for purity in the house of God. Because when he saw impurity, he says he jumped up And he thrust a spear into that which was impure. He wanted to protect the purity in the house. He was passionate concerning anything unrighteous in the house of God. He wanted to see honour amongst the people of God. And we need to be those this morning that are passionate about purity in our lives. He took decisive action And by doing that, he released a blessing into the people of God. I believe that this morning there are two meanings to the word house. If we go to John chapter 2, we have that great scripture where Jesus clears the temple. And he said to those who were selling doves, Get out of here. How dare you turn my house into a father's into my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it was written, Passion for your house will consume me. He didn't say, please get out of here. He said, Get out of here! He was angry. It wasn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He was he'd made a whip, he was chasing them out. 
and they left. But then the Jews questioned him and they said, what sign can you show us as proof that you have the authority to do these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they looked at him a bit perplexed and said, but it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. This was the extreme home makeover. But the question this morning is, is are we angry? Are we looking to make sure that the plumb line is always straight? Are we looking to destroy things that could happen in our own houses? You see, corporately, this house, I read in 1 Peter 2.5 that we are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. And what's more, we're holy priests through the mediation of Jesus Christ, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. But then I read in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 verse 19, don't you realise that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And I believe this morning that I'm a temple within a temple. We're temples within temples being built together. And I want to make sure that I'm angry about the things in my life that don't line up to the word of God. It was clear from the story of Phineas that some anger is justified. Phineas was angry because of his passion for God. And if we want to become more like Jesus, we should be angered by sin in both houses. And I believe that, God, I believe that anger is a God-given emotion. Our anger is often because we're not getting our own way or we want some kind of justification or we're embarrassed or my rights are at stake. But if a principle of God is being violated, then our anger is justified. It's not about retaliation, but it's about seeing the goodness of God and the honour of God restored in every aspect of our lives. Anger is a God-given emotion, clearly allied for our instinct for right. It is designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. I read a quote the other day, and on the bottom it says, source unknown, and when I read it, I realised why no one wanted to own up to it. (laughs) The person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate wrong... I would say that it's very questionable whether you really love righteousness. Ouch. Ouch. Let's go back to Jesus clearing the temple. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem, and in the temple he saw the merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money, and Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattering money changers' coins all over the floor, and turned over the tables. And then he was going over to the people who sold the doves, and he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? I mean, tables going over, coins flying everywhere, people rushing to pick all the coins up, loads of animals and livestock. It was just pandemonium. 
you know, this wasn't walking on the water. This was pandemonium, but it was anger. And it's interesting that the disciples had recollected this verse that said, passion for God's house will consume me. Other versions use this word, zeal. Zeal. Because real anger produces zeal. Because when we run away from danger, because we're angry at sin, it creates zeal. Let me say that again. When we run away from danger, because we're angry at sin, it creates zeal within us. It creates zeal within us. Now, zeal is a word which doesn't get a good press in Christianity. Zeal, when you're full of zeal, it doesn't mean that you're young. Thank the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're strange. It doesn't mean that you're extrovert. It doesn't mean that you're super spiritual. It doesn't mean that you're not a people person. Because we're in good company. Paul was zealous. Phineas, King Saul, Elijah, Jesus himself. Because when we're filled with zeal, we show a strong and energetic desire to get something done and see something succeed. We're marked by a passionate cause or a passionate cause for a person. You know, when I was a young man growing up, I didn't want to be known as zealous. We used to have a zealous group, and I certainly didn't want to be in that. And, you know, we can shy away from people calling us zealous because of that list that I gave. But it's a command of the Lord. Because I read in Romans 12, 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. When we serve the Lord in a particular way, and that can be children's work, it can be helps, it can be worship team, it could be a life group leader, it could even be an elder, we must not let it become mundane. We mustn't, be, we mustn't do things out of duty, but we do them for the love of Christ, to see his kingdom brought into the world we must not lose our zeal our spiritual fervour because when that happens we become ineffective for Christ we become ineffective in fulfilling the mission never lose your zeal if you ever say to yourself I can remember a time when I used to do this then you've lost your zeal I can remember a time when I used to bring the prophetic word You've lost your zeal. I can remember a time when I used to lay hands on people and they were healed. You've lost your zeal. It's so important as believers that we fulfil our potential in Christ because that is our goal. You know, our zeal is in us. The spiritual fervour of God is in us through his Holy Spirit. But sadly, we have the ability to quench that by ignoring his leadings, ignoring his word, or stepping out and putting ourselves into danger, putting ourselves into harm's way. You know, we all go through valleys and peaks in our lives, in our spiritual lives, but the key to overcoming this is to stay close to him through prayer and through his word. Because when we spend time with him, it nourishes our inner man. It makes us more like Christ. 
It allows his glory to flow out of us. There are many things that we can get passionate about in life, many things we can have zeal about. We can get passionate about sport. I need to think about that. (laughs) We need to get passionate about hobbies. We can be very passionate about careers. But none of these, none of these should come even close to the passion that we should have for Christ. Because these things are temporary and he is eternal. When Phineas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, the priest saw this, he jumped up and he left the assembly. The zealous are those who remove themselves from any source of temptation. The zealous are those that are angry with sin in their lives. This morning, don't shy away from being zeal, from being zealous. You're not strange. You're not introvert. You're not weird. It's the calling of God. It's the calling of God to be zealous and full of zeal. And my challenge this morning to myself and to everyone who can hear my voice is that we may need to make some adjustments. We may need to straighten that wall this morning. We may need to step out from the crowd like Phineas. We may need to pursue him in a way that we've never pursued him before. A quote in closing from J.C. Ryle. A zealous person, a person full of zeal, is preeminently a person of one thing. It's not enough to say that they're earnest, strong, uncompromising, meticulous, wholehearted and fervent in spirit. They only see one thing. They only care for one thing. They only live for one thing. They are only swallowed up by one thing. And that one thing is to please God. This morning we need to be those that run away from danger, become angry at sin, and see him create zeal in our lives. Let's just pray together. Father, I thank you that you... (coughs) Excuse me. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be zealous. And Father, first of all, I just pray that whatever misconception we've had on what zealousness is, that, Lord, you would change our perception of that this morning, Lord. That to be zealous is to love you, is to chase after you with all our hearts, to run away from danger, not to put ourselves in harm's way, and to be angry at the things that don't please you, Lord. And Father, I just pray that if you're listening to my voice this morning and that, Lord, that you need to make some adjustments in your lives, that we would all make those corporately and individually, that we would look at things in a different way because we want to be those that please you, Lord. Father, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.